There it is. There we go. Now we got it. Rolling. Andy Van, what's happening, dude? Oh, you know, nothing. Just having a beer with you. Yeah. Um, I knew it was going to come sooner or later. We okay. had to miss a Monday. I know. I thought about that. I was like, we don't... Well, I guess six episodes in, it was bound to happen. But... Yes. It's no. We literally had this conversation, what, two weeks ago? We are like, we got some snow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We had that conversation two weeks ago, and now we actually got some snow. Yes. And it's shut down the city for two yes. days. I feel like we joked about that at least... At least once or twice. We're like, oh, we got a little bit of snow today, and it was exciting. And on what? So Sunday, the roads were pretty icy. Right. First thing in the morning, especially. And then over the course of Sunday night into Monday morning, we got lots of ice. Mm-hmm. Lots of snow and ice. And so um, good old Living Waters Brewery had to shut down for the day. That's all right. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure they're shut down today as well. We're probably going to be shut down tomorrow. I think there's more stuff moving in. Yeah, so... We are, we are dealing with snow and ice, and we are not well equipped to uh, to deal with it. So, right here we are on Tuesday, which is still not bad. Coming coming from Zach's apartment, <laughs> coming at you live from the apartment. But we do have our beer. I brought beer. Yes, so we're keeping it as close to our yeah. recording one, environment as possible. We're one for two. I guess yes. I guess two for three if you include the hosts. We're both here. That's right. Okay. That's right. So So we're golden. So no complaints. Right. <laughs> also, I'm not gonna make myself look like an idiot to Josh at Living Waters. You just make yourself look like an idiot to me. I well, that's pretty easy. <laughs> I don't think that will come as no surprise. <laughs> uh yeah. And um yeah, man, you got your, you know, so not not to maybe deviate off the path too much, but, you know, one of the things that you're super into outside of fitness is your Toyota 4Runner habit. I, and, I do have a, a habit. And that's how you got yourself over here, because I'm not a great driver, and I was like, I am not going to get on the road <laughs> for anything, but if you want to bring your Toyota over here, by all means, do so. Right. So how, how'd you get into uh, 4Runners? So... I needed my car was the the previous car was was a sedan that was dying like hit two hundred thousand miles and it was like on its last limb, so my wife and I decided that we needed a larger vehicle because we need we wanted to do house projects. Home Depot's right around the corner. We hated having to either we live in East Nashville. My parents live in Brentwood. We would either drive from East Nashville to Brentwood to get my dad's van back to East Nashville Home Depot to get our stuff. Oh, do wow. our project, go back to Brentwood, trade cars, come back again, or we would rent a truck from Home Depot to do all this work. And anyway, it got to be a hassle to be doing all. So we decided that when the car died, that we were going to get a larger vehicle. And I had my eyes set on a third gen Forerunner. Um, mine is a 2000. And when I bought it. Um, I bought it from a doctor who ended up becoming a client of mine, actually, uh, had low miles. It's a great, reliable vehicle. And so anyway, I, I bought it in 2017. I have modified the shit out of it. I have dumped some money into it. See, here's what happened. Here's the, here's the easiest and fastest way I can put this. Um, the difference between being a car guy and not a car guy is the right car. Because before the 4Runner, I didn't give a shit about cars. Like, I did, like, routine maintenance as needed. But, like, 
No. Like, my dad and his brother loved cars, grew up working on them. Mm-hmm. I still use their help whenever I need to get something done. But for me, I was like, I'm not interested at all. As soon as I bought the first 4Runner, I was just hooked, like, hooked. And so I have since modified the shit out of it. And I love it. Her name is Vicky. And then um, this past summer, I bought a 1985 4Runner. That's going to be the new project that I plan on taking to Colorado actually this summer with a friend of mine. Mm. So it needs some work. Um, but yeah, it's a 35, 36 year old 4Runner. It got like cr- hand crank windows. <laughs> um, it has a four cylinder. It's like a tractor, really. It's super slow, but it's super cute. So that's the 1985. So anyway, yeah, I got bit hard. I'm all in. And does, that, like, does that car have a name as well? Uh, I'm just going to leave it at the 85. Okay, the yeah, 85. The 85. Dig it. So um, those are my two babies. But I took Vicky over here today. Right on. Right. Cool. Yeah, man. Obviously, I have more than a few friends at this point who are super forerunner geeks. I would have thought because you told me you like to do like four wheeling. Mm-hmm. Like, I yeah, like thought, I, I grew up four wheeling. Yeah, right. Absolutely. I would. I would have thought for sure that you would drive a big lifted truck with mud tires or something. I actually did drive a big lifted truck with mud tires in high school. Did you really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 1975 Ford F-250. That is badass. Yeah, man. Big green. Is it, was it, my, it was my dad's car. Is it, it my dad's truck. Okay. Is it still in the family? It's still in the family. It's in the garage. Okay. It's on a block or two. That's But that's it's, cool. it's still in the family. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. I'm glad that y'all kept that. Yeah. I'll, I'll see if I can hunt up some pictures. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, my dad has some crazy stories with that. Yeah, truck. I figured you probably because, <laughs> and I like I grew up in the city. I grew up in the suburbs, so we did not four wheel, four by four, whatever. So it really wasn't appealing to me. And now that I own two off road capable vehicles, I'm, I don't go that often, but I'd like to. It's like a side hobby. So yeah, mm-hmm. outside of fitness and beer and music, yeah. Toyota trucks. Right on, dude. Yeah. So. <laughs> cool. Well, hey, the more you know about Andy. I'm just trying to be relatable, brother. Dude, I'm, I'm making I'm making the rainbow emblem the more oh, you know. Oh, the more you know. Okay. Yeah. Well, okay, can I talk about you then? Uh, in fairness to the audience? Sure. Because I'm in your apartment. Yeah. And I see at least two guitars. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So how many people that might be listening to this podcast know that you like to play guitar? People listening to this podcast, my guess is my guess is at least two or three. Okay. Um, but yeah, man, I have I've played guitar since I was probably twelve. You know, ACDC is my favorite band, so that's kind of how I cut my teeth is on like you know old school rock and roll blues. And then as I got to my late teens, early twenties, I got really into classical guitar. Okay. So I said classical music for a while. And uh, I've kind of fallen in and out of practice over the years, obviously. But um, yeah, I, uh, I love, well, actually, <laughs> hey, dude, this is, a, this is actually a very funny full circle moment. My very first podcast was actually called the Six String Strength Podcast. Okay. And I would interview other guitar players and, and oftentimes would talk about the intersection between musicality and and practicing music and fitness okay mm-hmm. i kind of like that this might have to be another podcast episode yeah. 
of, of the intersection or like how fitness has played a significant role in a non-fitness related job mm -hmm. or, or hobby or endeavor. Yeah. Okay. I mean, at the end of the day, man, like anything that you pursue kind of follows the same, same trajectory. You know, there's, there's breaking in periods, there's newbie periods, there's, you know, there's uh, any sort of skill acquisition follows a pretty predictable pattern. Um, so it's it's been it's been interesting to kind of see, you know, anything that I've I've dedicated my time and my energies to over the course of time, how how things follow similar patterns, whether that's uh, music, fitness, uh, various different styles of fitness, you know, like like we've talked about before. I've gotten into jujitsu in recent history, um, writing, creating content, cooking, certainly on your part, you know, fixing up cars, that, that whole thing. So these are all, these are all skills. These are all like lifelong pursuits. You know, I don't know if it's in contrast, but part of the reason I like Toyota truck stuff is it's, to me, complete unrelatedness to fitness and nutrition. It's like one of my favorite parts. Well, may maybe your car maintenance was a little bit of a stretch, but I I'd mean, be willing to, I'd right. be willing to say that if you looked at it in a certain lens. There's skill um, acquisition, like, because I don't yeah. know anything, so there's a huge learning curve. <laughs> right. But one of the major reasons I love it is because it has nothing to do with fitness or nutrition. Right. I literally drink beer and eat Cheetos and turn wrenches. <laughs> I, I, uh, I get that. I get that. And, and it's funny because I think, yeah, really what we're talking about here is the underlying pattern of, of doing the thing, for lack of a better term. To, to actually use an Andy Van-ism, doing the thing. Showing up and doing the thing. Showing up and doing the thing. Okay. And, and riding the waves as they come and go. So, um, not, not to take us too far off topic, but yeah, man, uh, music and, and guitar playing is, uh, one of my very favorite things to do. And I've, I've been able to draw a lot of interesting parallels between the practice of music and the practice of physical fitness. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to let you serenade me one day. Yeah, man. With well, that acoustic that you got over there. Hey, it might be sooner than later. All right, so so before we turn over to program, sure. What is that acoustic guitar? What brand? Whatever. Uh, let's see. This is so. This is a classical guitar. So if, if you're not familiar, so a classical guitar is an acoustic guitar, obviously, but uh, classical guitars are a little bit, generally, are a little bit. Uh, well, I would say bigger, but obviously that kind of depends on your model. I mean, she's kind but of the, thick. She, she's very thick. So your your neck, your neck is the most obvious. Is the most obvious difference. So so the neck with a classical guitar is much wider, much much bigger because the uh, strings. Are physically spaced farther apart. Okay. Now because, that you're saying it, I can see that. Yeah, because it's a finger style instrument. Okay. Oh, so there's no pick. So there's no pick. So you have yeah. to have room for your fingers to 
pluck individual strings. Okay. So the strings are set wider apart, so the neck has to be wider. The strings themselves are nylon as opposed to steel. And the neck, even though it's wide, has this has this very interesting shape where it's it's still it's still narrow. Right. You know, because again, there's a lot of thumb action that has to you know, happen here. Gotcha. So, so you're generally not you're generally not gripping the neck like you would like a baseball bat, like like you often would with traditional guitar playing. Uh, most of it yes. is you're gonna have a thumb position flat against the back like so. Okay. And that's that's to allow for that extra movement of the fingers this way. Gotcha. Again, because the strings are are apart. Gotcha. Space farther apart. And then yeah. when you're rocking out the ACDC, I see you got... That's an SG? That is an SG. Okay. So the SG is the axe of choice for Angus Young of ACDC. And also of Tony Iommi of Black Sabbath. Okay. Those are like your two like iconic SG players. Um, and also uh, Derek Trucks tip, traditionally plays an SG as well. I saw slide style. I think about this time last year, before COVID really settled in, I think I, I saw Tedeschi Trucks with a client and a friend of mine at um, the Ryman. It was about a year ago. It was an awesome show. We were you at that show? So they did a run at the Ryman, right? And me and my mom went to the Thursday show. I don't remember. No, no, no. I take that back. Not the Thursday show. It must have been the Saturday show. Because I think it was like a Thursday through Saturday run. I think you're right. I think I went to the Thursday show. Yeah. Okay. And they did a mini set with Jerry Douglas. No way. Yes. That's pretty wild. Yeah. I have I have lots of video on my phone that I can show you. Okay. You have to show me. Yes. Um, yeah. So no, actually, yes. Uh, Tedeschi Trucks Band was the last big show that I went to before COVID. That might have been at least at the Ryman, easily. But yeah. I don't remember for sure. They're one of the greatest bands uh, of all time, uh, in my opinion. Uh, I mean, especially considering like the genre <clears throat> of big bands, blues, R&B, Southern soul, that tradition. Yeah, amazing. Amazing musicians. Um, so yeah, man, that's, you know... And, you know, it's funny how I kind of relate like music back to back to training. Like I I pull I pull from disparate ends, right? So like the classical guitar, like I'm playing I'm playing music on on the classical guitar that was that it's obviously hundreds of years old. You know, we're talking loop music. We're talking you know traditional classical guitar repertoire which is like late 17 to early 1900s wow you know that's this it's your traditional classical like repertoire you know i mean of course like you play like contemporary stuff but like you know it's it's a classical instrument and it's kind of made for like classical music um and then you know on this side you've got your rock and roll machine and like i'm super into heavy metal like as well i don't really play it very much but um, I think and your neighbors would be really mad if you did. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I, I actually introduced myself to my neighbors just to just to cover my bases. You did. We talked mm -hmm. about this when we yeah, helped you. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, good. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You should always know your neighbors. Right. 
um, yeah, I just told him to, you know, holler at me if I'm being too loud or making a yeah. scene. Don't don't be calling the front office. Right, call me before you call the front right. office. Like, right, it's, it's all cool. It's all gravy. So yeah, man, I, I pull I pull from disparate ends of the spectrum. I'm I'm very much drawn to the fringes when it comes to a lot of stuff, and like for fitness, I mean, I love like I love getting after it. I love gut busting, you know, eyes popping out of your head, like you know, pushing heavy weight and working hard, and I also love yoga. I love chilling out. I love balance work. I love you know mobility work. Um, so that's uh, and and I try to I try to I try to blend those things. So I f that's kind of always been one of my I don't know kind of like one of my overall mental models is like whatever the whatever the topic is. What's the extreme on this side? What's the extreme on this side? And how can I either mix and match those or otherwise just appreciate? Well, and I don't think you can really, you can't appreciate without experiencing it. Sure. My appreciation for yoga is minimal because I don't do it. My appreciation for stretching is minimal because I don't do it. So I think you have to experience, so I won't comment that much other than I, I just prefer personally not to engage in those activities. But I won't. I don't judge them. Sure. I think every everything has its time and its place in a comprehensive, healthy lifestyle. Mm -hmm. But I turn the volume up on things that are more important to me, and turn the volume down on things that are less important to me. Mm -hmm. So. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Wow, that was. It's quite an intro. Yeah, it was quite an intro. <laughs> what are we talking about, fitness? <laughs> I think so. Lifting weights. All right. Well, so it, let me try to very roughly segue this. If you pull from, take from, influenced by different uh, uh, polar extremes of fitness and life and, and other music interests, when you're writing workout programs... What are some um, some big gravitational pulls? Like, what are your um, influential, uh, you know, uh, for lack of a better word, drives? Like, what you don't just like throw some stuff on the wall and you're like, well, that's stuck. So, how do you go about writing a program, selecting your exercises, and what influences those decisions? Take it away. Now we're in, now fitness. Now we're in it. Now, now we're in it. <laughs> well, that's that's kind of a hard question to answer. Without without kind of just reverting back to what we have kind of written here on the paper, which is we have our major movements, we have okay. our major movement patterns, and really just trying to be empathetic with where you know your client is at any, at any given point in time. So. I know that like the most important thing is making sure that a client feels both challenged and simultaneously confident in in what they're doing. Okay. I mean that's that's like a huge thing. Right. And it's funny because our our buddy Jesse Riley was asking me kind of a similar question a few weeks ago. Um when he was he was kind of asking a similar type programming question uh and 
I brought up the example of like, I've literally had some people, some clients, just be accountable to doing one set of one exercise once a day. Like, what's an example? Like, um, bodyweight squats. Okay. Some people, they are going to be both challenged and with an appropriate amount of, you know, competency and, and confidence, they can tackle one set of one exercise a day. Okay. That's, that's where they have to start. Okay. And, you know, kind of going back to this like domino effect that we were kind of talking about off air, that will progress. So you have to be, I think you have to be empathetic with, with who you are dealing with, what they are comfortable with, um, and, and what they're not. But as soon as possible, you just need to cover as many bases as possible. When you say cover as many bases, what do you mean? Or push, pull, hinge, squat, carry. So, so a, a wide berth? Sure. Is that the right word? A plethora? Lots of stuff. Yeah. Competency or even mild competency in a lot of stuff. Like yeah. movement stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. So so being being general in the sense that you want to make sure that you tick all the major boxes. All right? So, I mean, listen, to, not to sound too reduc- reductionistic, but we're only dealing with so many movement patterns and so many muscle groups. So as long as we're working as many of those muscle groups and as many of those patterns as possible in a way that people are comfortable with, competent with, and that is challenging them, that's that's kind of where my mind is at. And I mean, honestly, you said, you know, throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. There's a little bit of that, to be fair. I agree. Like is, I, yeah. I do have, I do try to have like a big vault of what I would consider novel but beginner friendly movements okay so that i can just throw something out and they're like you know it's you know it's it's not it's there's no there's no high injury risk but it's something that will kind of show people like oh like you know for example like the swimmer rotation is kind of what i call it where you reach your hands down the back reaching behind your head okay. and then you sweep your hands way out and you try to reach them up your back. Okay. And it's very simple, but like how often are we actually, unless we have an itch or unless we're using the restroom, how often do we reach behind ourselves? I love that. I had never really thought about it, but yeah. <laughs> also, I'm a little bit disadvantaged because both of my shoulders hate this. <laughs> I'm sitting here trying it as you're showing me and I feel... A little bit impaired, but I can do it. Yeah, and that, now your shoulders maybe feel a little bit more loosened up. Now you can just do that with one arm. You know what? what's wild is it wasn't until I lost full function of my shoulder, and we had this discussion with Erin last week about my shoulder rehab because she did it. It wasn't until I lost complete use of my right limb that I really appreciated use of my right limb, even for stuff mm. as simple as going to the bathroom washing my body, tying my shoes, putting on my own clothes, chopping vegetables. I could do none of it. Mm-hmm. I will not make for a good old person because I don't like to be taken care of. It was That was the hardest part. Like the pain was one thing, not being able to lift was another, but loss of normal daily activity mm. was the worst. So in a weird way, 
worst case scenario, if all I can get my clients to do is use their bodies as they are intended to be used. So like this thing you're showing me, this like swimmer thing, like maintaining the ability to scratch your own back or tie your own shoes or whatever. Those are like critically important, especially as you get older. Like as you lose those like daily function activities, that's pretty crazy. I hadn't really thought about it until just now. But man, like, because I think I'm a meathead. I think about it like bench press and deadlift. But like, well, yeah, dude. Well, I've I've talked about this a little bit before. My north star is being the strong old guy. Okay. Being the strongest guy in silver sneakers class. Okay. Is is being able to take care of yourself until you're dead. I like that. I I think that's that's that's. It's better to have that as your north star in fitness sooner than later. You know the. So I have a client who's elderly, he's 79, um, and he moves okay. Um, one thing that I would love to get to him, like get to do with him eventually, we're not there yet. Um, we were talking about on the podcast before, like get back ups. Mm-hmm. I would love, and again, he's not there yet. I would love for him to just get on the ground and get back up again. Um, that's one of those things that like I can tell by his movement capacity currently we're not quite there yet, but it's critical. So, you know, to kind of take a few steps back, like movement selection, exercise selection, these movement patterns will probably, like as far as like prioritizing or the ones that are the most important will probably change as you get older, like significantly. Being able to maintain just daily function and fall on the ground, this is gonna sound silly, especially if you're a young listener, it sounds kind of silly, but like being able to like, you know, carry your own groceries, tie your own shoe, put your own clothes on, and if you are to fall, not break something, like those are critical. Like so, deadlifts and bench press and all that shit is cool. You and I love that stuff, but as you get older, I I imagine those things become a little less relevant, as opposed to like, not that you can't do those things, but like you get what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Some your movement, your your programming, your exercise selection, your your movement pool, probably shifts a little bit just to to maintain sort of independence and and you know daily function. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've been able to maintain this perspective and really have a lot of skin in the game from a business perspective in this regard because so many of my clients are fifty plus, sixty plus, and now more than ever seventy plus. And, you know, again, if I was just working, like, let's say, like at a powerlifting gym, like, let's say with relatively younger people, I don't know if I would have this same outlook, but I'm working with folks who are, you know, twice my age, give or take, like basically every single day. So that's, that's where my mind is continually attuned. Is like what's going to be best for this person today? How are we gonna, you know, make sure that we, you know, ensure that aging gracefully is is in the cards? And then I can't help but to have that marinate into my my own training and and how I program uh, for other folks, you know, and and that's kind of why I gave myself this, my you know, my own ultimatum of. Okay, don't forget that the point of fitness is 
how it's going to manifest in the long term when you really have to lean on it. And it's kind of like investing. You know, right. if, you, if you're a young person, you should invest in the stock market or, you know, and just invest period or save, not because you want to be rich tomorrow, but because you want to be able to buy groceries when you retire. Right. That's the point. Right. So I, I very much try to take that quote unquote investor, long-term investor approach to fitness as well. Right. I, I think it's easy. I like that analogy and I use it often. I don't, I think it's lost on a lot of people because, and, and that's, that's fair because a lot of us want immediate gratification for the things that we do. It's really hard to show up to the gym once and, or even two weeks before spring break and not be beach body ready. That's really frustrating, but it really does require this investment. Same as like any like retirement savings. It's this long-term, you know, uh, goal of being able to, you know, accomplish this thing at a certain age or certain, you know, future time. And I think it's really difficult to do that with fitness for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, I think we often um, categorize or like think of fitness as like its own entity so like fitness is one part of my life but it doesn't bleed over in like other parts of my life and that's not necessarily the case right um so you know and i think about it too when i blew out my shoulder was when i was the strongest i've ever been in my entire life so like even though fitness made me a decent kickball player Bench pressing, deadlifting, and squatting, and overhead pressing didn't save my shoulder from a, a kickball. <laughs> a kickball was like my Achilles heel. And again, this is when I was the strongest I've ever been in my entire life, like overall. And I played a kickball game and threw out my arm and lost everything. Like, so I'm not saying that fitness needs to check all the boxes for kickball, but like, going back to your point, Squatting and deadlifting and bench pressing and overhead pressing is cool if those are your only activities. And it's cool if you love doing it. But, like, I think there's probably um, some uh, importance to put on, like, different movement types. Or whether it's yoga or, I don't know, whatever. Stuff outside of those four movements. Because it helps prepare your body for life stuff. Like playing kickball with your friends and drinking beers. Because it's not going to save you. If, yeah. you know. And again, I, I, had, I had shoulder issues before. There was already compromise there. But the point is, being strong as shit in the gym did nothing for me on a kickball field. Right. And, and so I like that, that point of view of like, how do I maybe change my programming or, or look at what I'm doing in the gym and, and modify it a little bit to make these daily activities or these even these sports a little bit easier, better, safer, so that I don't blow out my arm or tear an ACL or break an ankle or whatever. Yeah. I mean, you know, right. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's where, that's where we as trainers need to watch ourselves. If check we become, ego. check yeah. that ego, if you start to become reductionistic, right? Because, Hey, listen, as much as I love fives on the back squat <laughs> and, and I would, I would love it if that's, you know, if that's, in the game for people like yeah absolutely do it but that's not 
that's not the catch-all solution to everything. Yeah, and a lot of coaches think it is. And a lot of coaches think it is because it's it's the reductionist mindset because you, you you start to just buy into. Again, we've talked about this before. You start to buy into the cult of personality. You start to buy into these systems. You start to think, well, this is the solution. Exo facto, every problem goes through the same right. the same answer. Everybody's a, or everybody's a nail or whatever. If everybody, yeah, if all you got is a hammer, everybody's a nail. Right. So I think there are some big hammers. Like I think I think that you're your back squat, your bench press, and your barbell deadlift are big hammers. Right. They can hit a lot of nails, right. but they don't hit all of them. Right. And the older you get, the fewer nails they hit. Right. So, you know, when you're, when you're 19 years old, you don't need to work on your mobility. Hammer now, brother. Just, you just <laughs> need to like, you just need to work hard, you need to lift big weights, you need to take advantage of the hormonal environment. Right. When you're 65, the conversation has to be a lot more nuanced. You start to have to think about, again, all these little things. Primarily, I think probably a lot of you know, body weight exercise. Get back ups, uh, you know, planks, mobility, stability, standing single leg exercises, anything that's going to Anything that's going to uh, build your confidence and your competence moving your own body around in space right. is really all it comes down to. You know how many people I work with that a body weight like split squat from ground up is challenging? Imagine you just take sure. a knee on the ground and then you stand up out of that position. Sure. It's something that I take for granted because I'm pretty good at it. You're probably pretty good at it. But when I work with a lot of gin pop clients, they have difficulty getting down to one knee mm -hmm. and standing back up again. Mm -hmm. And like, that's something that we can easily address in the gym, but it's not, it's not one of these sexy big ass lifts that we're talking about. Right. Like it's not as, you know, I, I felt kind of bad when we were texting Jesse the other day, cause I was like, nobody gives a fuck about your single leg deadlift or whatever. But the irony about that is it's true if you're a meathead and you think in these terms that, that these big lifts are all that matter. Yeah, yeah. When a single leg deadlift probably matters a lot to, let's say, any like sport athlete outside of powerlifting or Olympic lifting. Like having stability around that hip joint and that knee joint on one leg is critically important for any athlete who runs up and down a field. Yeah. And so I joked about it, but I mean... Yeah, you, the the, you fun, the funny thing is, is because us three are on this thread, and I almost sent a picture because I was actually squatting, getting these text messages. Okay, and so I almost sent a picture of the barbell that I was squatting, and I was gonna, you know, basically expound upon like what you said, but that's why I also followed up with those texts, and I was like, okay, well, who are you talking about? Right. Because because I don't. Again, I like to flex a little bit like when our friends like Jesse ask strength programming type questions because I like to I like to get a little like that's I like to flex my meathead muscle say, a little bit. Break a little mental sweat on there. Yeah, I like I like to flex a little bit. But but really, yes, there there's got to be a balance. So I would even argue that the whole single leg deadlift idea is just as important for the power lifter as it is for you know anybody else if 
that power lifter can't stand on one leg. Right. So again, it goes back to this holistic approach of thinking about the whole person. Well, and I think you and I would both agree that the power lifter being able to stand on one if he's pretty strong, he probably can stand on one leg. You know who can't stand on one leg very well? I don't know. Maybe he's my 79-year-old client. Right. So, like, a single-leg deadlift might be less relevant to a bilateral athlete like a power lifter, but it means a lot to someone like, you know, a field athlete or my 79-year-old client who probably is going to find himself on one leg at some point. Now, whether he's doing a single-leg RDL, maybe. But being able to stand and control himself on one foot is something that as you get older, you probably need to have some level of competency in or you're going to fall. Yeah. And if you fall, you risk breaking this or that or, or you know whatever. So again, it goes back to the whole point is who are we working with? Like what are their goals? Where are we trying? Like what's point A and what's point B? Mm-hmm. And then we start selecting exercises that are probably... Like you said, the, the big hammer exercises are definitely in there. But after that, we're probably going to look at specific exercises that the client in front of us is going to get a better bang for the buck out of. Yeah. So, like, for, for example, I like, I like to overhead press, and I can actually do it okay now. Like, I'm not strong in it, but I can do it. My shoulders will let me. But a lot of my clients can't comfortably throw a bar overhead. So a landmine press where the bar is stuck in a corner and you're pressing up away from you is a little bit easier to manage, a little bit easier for people to do. They feel competent doing it. They're not, it doesn't feel awkward. It doesn't hurt. So it's, a, it's an, and I'm doing air quotes here, overhead press without it actually doing a true overhead press. But it allows people to get strong and move. Like imagine having to grab a plate or a glass from a, a cabinet. Mm-hmm. Like it seems like a trivial thing. But being able to control yourself going up to grab something maybe heavy above your head and pull it out of a, a cabinet is something that you might need to be able to do when you're older. So a yeah. landmine press is a more relevant exercise. Well, I would venture to say that that is an overhead press. What, grabbing something? Or the a landmine, landmine press? I call it an overhead Yeah, it's my vertical press. Yeah. And, and again, we, just, we have to check ourselves because we are taught that an overhead press is a military press. Right. And... Where you have a bar in your hands. And it's or strict, dumbbells. Yeah. And, and it's strict, strict vertical. Straight over your head. Right. But that's, um, that, that's kind of where... That's kind of where you really have to check yourself. Because again, I still go back to our main five or six patterns here. Push, pull, squat, hinge, carry, floor work, etc. But I am not... I, I, I take the patterns... But I'm very careful not to compare the patterns to our most popular exercises. So in other words, you're going to pick a hinge pattern that isn't necessarily a barbell deadlift. Right? Is that what you're saying? Sure, yeah. You're going to pick a press that's not necessarily a barbell bench press. Let me put it to you like this. When I got you to put your hands behind your back like so, the swimmer rotation, I consider that a pull. Okay. I can see that. I just consider this a pull. I kind of like that. It's just like a general mobility thing. Too. Yeah, it's a pull. Right. And honestly, like, again, I'm thinking back to, you know, some of some my, um, you know, older clients, like who I train. 
you know, if I have them stand on one leg, uh, even holding on to holding on to a wall, sure, it's just standing on one leg, and I get them to bring one knee high. Okay. What and, is that? And hold, or and, no? and yeah, and hold. I don't know. You look like a flamingo. You, yeah, it's a flamingo hold. Is that is that really what you call it? I'm gonna call it now. That's <laughs> what I'm gonna call it now. I like that. You're welcome. <laughs> but yeah, they bring one knee up. So what is that? I would consider that simultaneously a carry and a squat. It's also kind of a sing- it's a single leg carry, single leg squat. Why not? It's knee flex. It's a knee and hip flexion. Right. And it's stabilizing on one leg, oh, which gonna... is gait, which is carry. Right. I'm going to use that. So why not? Well, he and I are not there yet with my older client. I want to, I want to get there. To, like standing, holding on one leg. Yeah. So I think, I just, I just think that we are, we're taught exercises and we're taught these, these flag in the ground exercises and, and we're looking at everything through the lens of exercises. And I think that that is, that is far too limiting. Well, I'll compound on that. I think most trainees and most younger coaches think of fitness in one of two ways. Exercises like let's say barbell deadlift, barbell squat, barbell overhead press, so on and so forth, or um, body part. So like Mm -hmm. chest day, chest exercise, shoulder exercise, quads, hamstrings, glutes, back. So, you know, and and this is sort of those proverbial like chest day, back day, leg day, you know, uh, body part split workouts where you look at exercises as how they target certain muscle groups. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's, and I think that's a great place to, those two prongs are probably going to get you pretty far. Um, I don't think it's, it's a little bit reductionist, I think. Right. For most people, most of the time. Yeah. Um, and it also depends on uh, your, your schedule and your, you know, uh, like, in other words, I wrote an article for T Nation years ago. In other words, in other I wrote words, an article. I wrote for an T-Nation. article for T Nation years ago <laughs> that basically blasted um, body part split routines. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And, and in the article, and unfortunately, half the people that commented on it said really mean things about me. <gasps> they did not they on were, the internet. They did. They said nasty things about me. It was bad. Bastards. Anyway, in the article, I basically said, if hey, if chest day, if bench press. And dumbbell bench press and incline bench press and, I don't know, hammer strength bench press. If chest day gets you in the gym on Monday and you're pumped to be there, I'm not going to stop you. Like, that's your thing. Do your thing. If chest day, back day, leg day, whatever your days are is how you make it to the gym. Do your thing. I don't think it's a great um, categorization for most people most of the time for this very obvious reason, which is most people don't show up to the gym five, six days a week. Most people can afford to go two or three times a week. So if all you're ever doing is chest day and biceps day, which is, and you know that's what most people are doing, it's just a, a, a less than stellar approach to a comprehensive strength program. So, and we can get into the nitty gritty about how we can divide all that up on your days. But again, if you're, on, if you're getting in the door with chest day, do your thing. Rock it out. If you can show up to the gym six or seven days a week and you need to do or want to do a chest day, back day, leg day, shoulder day, arm day, ab day, whatever that looks like, all power to you. Awesome. 
But for most of us in between there, that can show up two, three, four times a week at best, I find it a, a less than stellar approach. Mm-hmm. The movement one might be a little bit better. The point is, I think most people and most coaches look at it either as movements, these exercises, these holy grail exercises, or these you know uh, body part split type. And, and again, right. I think they have qualities, but I don't think, I think they, they lack context, lack you know, comprehensiveness or whatever you want to call it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, man. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so I think we've, I think we've covered a lot of ground so far. And what I thought might be fun to do is actually pull up some real life examples. A real life program. Of, of programs that we've, that we've written. So I will be honest and say that with my in-person clients, and I think we've talked about this, um, I have the luxury of working with most of my in-person clients on a regular basis. So they're doing most of their exercise with me. Right. So I don't necessarily have to program anything for them to do on their own. Um, so I also have the luxury of kind of just checking in with them on the day, knowing that, you know, this is something that we need to work on. So it's it's kind of like it's kind of like jazz when I show up. It's very much improvisational. I have a a rough outline of the patterns and the muscle groups that that we want to uh, work on, and then I just kind of go to town and and you know just kind of more or less make it up as I go. And just making sure that we check all the boxes for what the you know client needs on any given day. So, all this being said, that the approach that I take with people that I work with in person on a regular basis is going to look a little bit different than what I'm about to share, which is um, a more regimented program that I write for distance online uh, clients. Okay. So... Uh, let's jump right into it. So this particular client is uh, 51 years old, uh, female. She works out at home five days a week, uh, has a collection of kettlebells, and just recently got a barbell and plates. Nice. So a lot of equipment, really, in the grand scheme of things. Right. Lots of equipment but still keeping it more on the minimal side because again, she's working out at home. Uh, She has many days that she can work, obviously with five days a week, but not a whole lot of time each session. So like how long, for example? 45 minutes. Max, so that's like get in, get loose, do the thing, get out. Right. 45 minutes. Right. Got it. So that's actually kind of a good, that's that's kind of a good schedule. I like that, yeah. 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 So I'm just going to briefly kind of blow through uh, the, the uh, program here. So let's see. So we have a daily warm-up. So the daily warm-up consists of a side plank, a glute bridge with, with cross reach. Oh, I like You've that. seen like a bridge yeah. with a reach overhead. Yeah. So it just kind of helps to, you know, kind of get the T-spine rotating a little bit. Um, blocked dead bugs where we actually put a block between the same side uh, thigh and hands okay. so that we're creating an ipsilateral core engagement here okay. and we're doing our dead bug with the other side. Gotcha. All right. So 
little core there, um, and the butt walk, the QL walk, which is quite simply sitting on the ground and scooching your butt side to side, forward and backward. If you Google QL walk, you will see a recently moved to Nashville Zach Henderson scooching himself across the deck at in the backyard of the first house that I rented here in Nashville. Okay, I'm gonna go look this up. Yeah, I, I like I've tweaked my QL a couple times, so I should probably do this. Yeah, so the QL walk is a uh, I got it from uh, either Gymnastics Bodies, Christopher Summer. Um, and there's not many video. Oh, and Donnie Thompson had a big video on it. Um, and up until very recently, it was the most popular YouTube video on my channel. What? Yeah, ironically enough, just me scooching my ass across the ground has gotten like 30,000 hits. That's great. Yeah. Got that mailbox money yet? You gonna take me status too? I'm working on it. <laughs> maybe, maybe next month. Okay. So in any case, that's the daily warm up. Okay? okay. So I kind of want to blow through these quick. So day one is a hinge-based day, and again, this particular client has goals revolving around mostly kettlebell technique and also deadlift strength. Okay. All right, so, so pretty straightforward. Um, so the first sequence here is uh, a one-leg belly hinge, so that's like a single-leg deadlift where the weight is held down towards the belly. Uh, a hip circle, which is basically on all fours, making, uh, you know, basically kind of like hip rotation. Like yeah, like fire hydrant, yeah. fire hydrant circles. Um, and then the third in this triple set is bird dogs. Okay, so we're warming up the hips here, hip stability, core, all that good stuff. So that's our kind of prep set. And then we crank right into the deadlift working sets, which on this particular week, uh, this is week three out of five for what it's worth. Um, so three sets of five uh, with her deadlift, which in this case is 145 pounds. Uh, and we're pairing that with two other exercises. Uh, the first is a one-handed swing, 16 kilograms at six, at six reps each, uh, followed by a suitcase carry, 30 seconds on each side with uh, 20 kilos. So the idea here is that we're pairing up our deadlift, which at three sets of five at 145 is challenging, but very, very doable. Um, cranking into that one-handed swing, again, to keep the hip hinge snappy. And then the suitcase carry, which again, isn't, isn't heavy to the point where it's gonna be fatiguing her grip, but it's going to be enough, as I kind of wrote here in her notes, it's gonna be enough to really get her in touch with the obliques. Okay. Alright, so the obliques are obviously very, very important for your deadlift, all your hip hinges, keeping your back safe. Uh, and then we finish up with some core, so some hanging leg raises and bear crawls and crab walks. Okay. So that's day one. I'm going to try to go through these much faster. Uh, day two is a push-pull day, so we've got uh, Turkish get-up, um, the rolling side plank, which is basically where you go from left side to right side, back and forth. Um, and then a band sequence. So band pull-aparts, band circles, shoulder dislocates, all that good stuff. Um, and then here we do a little bit of swing and snatch practice. Um, again, because like kettlebell skill is part of the goal here. 
Um, you know, Snatch gets the shoulder warmed up, nothing too heavy. Uh, and then we move into the main press of the day. So this is actually a fun one. Uh, the press here for day two is the Liberty Press. The Liberty Press is where you hold one weight statically overhead. Okay. And you dynamically press with the other. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So here I have her holding uh, 16 kilograms in the overhead position and dynamically pressing 12 kilograms with the other hand. Why got to be all kilos on me? Because these are kettlebells. Why not? I know. So she's actually holding a heavier weight overhead. And pressing a lighter one. And pressing a lighter one. Well, because she's probably stronger isometrically in that position. Okay. Precisely. That doesn't necessarily need to be the case with every client, but yeah. So that's a fun one. Um, so doing not, not too much here, just three reps on each side. And then that is paired up with uh, one arm rows and wall dead bugs. Wall dead bugs is where you um, place both hands, palms against a wall into an overhead position and you're marching your feet out. Okay. So it's like the dead bug that's a little bit more biased for a quote-unquote overhead lockout pattern, okay. so to speak. Again, because this is a push-pull day, we're thinking about shoulders, we're thinking about overhead position. Um, and then we finish with the good old standby, the what I believe is called the Great Cook Carry, which is where you hold a waiter carry overhead until... You get a little bit shaky. For practical purposes, I just say 45 seconds. Sure. Then you bring the weight down to rack carry. So here at the shoulders for another 45 seconds. Then down into a suitcase carry for 45 seconds. Okay. Continue. Like, don't put it down. Don't put it down. Right. right. Then you switch sides. Working for between 8 and 12 minutes. Day three. We're back to the deadlift day. And I'm just going to go ahead and say that this day three deadlift day is almost exactly the same as day one, but we have some additional back offsets with the deadlift, a little bit lighter, where we're actually holding the uh, lockout of the last rep of your back off deadlift sets for 15 seconds. And why? Build grip endurance. Okay. That's just a, a point that uh, she needs to work on. So... The, the working sets were actually slightly heavier, um, but we're doing fewer sets, fewer reps, and then we're adding these back off sets at a lighter weight and really just working on that grip endurance. Um, there's a few different accessories, but for practical purposes, it's, it's pretty much the same. Uh, day four, the warm-up sequence is basically the same. Uh, the press of the day here is a uh, dumbbell seesaw press. So again, um, as one arm presses up, the other arm is coming down okay. to I the call shoulder. It an alternating press, but I like seesaw. Alternating press, right. So right. seesaw, just for semantics, really just insinuates that there is always an equal and opposite movement. Okay, I like right. that. So it's not like you're bringing one hand down and then pressing the other. Right. As soon as one moves, the other moves. Gotcha. So, it so when you do this slow, it creates a very, you know, it, it creates a, a, a good challenge for the shoulders and the core. Uh, we're pairing that up with some pec stick work. If you guys have seen the pec stick, this is just a spring-loaded stick where you just squeeze the sucker down. You know, if anybody has followed along with me and Andy's uh, 
you know, Saturday workouts. You've probably seen the oh, pec stick. The yard work, yeah. The yard work in action. So we have some pec stick squeezes there just as a superset. Um, some pull-up work. We actually have a, a mini ladder. So she's doing a single rest and then a double. Okay. Okay. So working those low rep pull-ups um, and then a little bit of core work there. To finish up this week, we have day five. Um, and so when somebody has a five day a week, you know, program, usually we have, you know, a general upper, lower, upper, lower, and then a kind of a free day sure. to kind of just kind of have fun. Um, so on this particular day, we have a shin box switch, you know, which is just the 90, 90 hip mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, so just a little hip mobility there. Uh, the baby get up, which is just a fun kind of Turkish get up. Uh, variation. Uh, we have a kettlebell complex, a double kettlebell complex of cleans and push presses. Again, doing a little bit more upper body work, but because we've got a push press and not a strict press, it's not going to be as um, fatiguing on the shoulders. It's not going to dip into our recovery too much um, because again, she just had presses on day four. Uh, we've got bottoms up carries. Again, a great torso, core, shoulder type exercise um, that, is a, that is a carry, but that is not going to fatigue um, really anything, like even the grip. Um, a lot of core exercise here. Uh, the Moonwalk Mountain Climber, which I made a post about um, a couple weeks ago. Oh, I saw that. You're basically doing a mountain climber, and as you're doing those steps, you're walking yourself backwards into a long lever plank and then you're walking yourself back into a neutral plank. Oh, I like that. So it's basically like an ab wheel rollout but with, without the ab wheel. Okay. As you're dynamically walking. I'm gonna steal that. Please do. Okay. Bicep curls, and then we have some more swings. Now, you may notice, there was not a single squat that I mentioned oh. in this particular program. Uh, this particular client has Real, has has a, uh, a a history of knee injury. Has really cranky knees, um, and deep squatting is contraindicated for okay. this for this particular client. So, and that's you being a good coach and actually let's like making sure she's not busting up those knees. Right, absolutely. So we do a lot of hinging. Hinging work is totally great. Um, what it's, about single leg squats though? Uh, so single leg balance is, is good, like is okay. So like something that isn't really reflected in this particular program, which I, I normally program, is glute bridges, hip thrusts, um, you know, more of the stuff, more of the floor work, like the shin box. Um, but I mean, all else being equal, if we know that we keep... Um, if we know if we keep the hinge strong, if we know that we're checking the box in terms of, you know, working our hip mobility and stability, a lot of that comes into play with like Turkish get up, side planks, stuff like that. Um, then, I then I know we're we're doing the best that we can with okay. those contraindications. So yeah. that's a quick and dirty okay. on that particular program. Well, for the sake of time, I'm just going to dive right into mine. Now, I like this because here's the contrast, is that your client is online, has a, a decent home gym, right? Mm -hmm. 
Um, your limitations would be the squats are contraindicated and she has certain goals and she also has limitations as far as like what equipment that you have. The difference between your client and my client is that this is a guy that I see, so this is a, a young male, I say young, in his late 20s, um, former athlete, played lacrosse, was a wrestler. Um, he has cranky shoulders and he has a cranky ankle. So we, we work around, like he basically can do almost anything. Um, on the day of, we might make a decision as far as what I have written in this program, whether we're going to keep it or we're going to swap it out. And I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit when we get into it. So he's a guy that I see face-to-face -face three times a week. Because we're three times a week, we always do total body. So we're going to hit at least a hin one hinge pattern, one squat pattern, one push, one pull. Um, in, in that program. Uh, and that's typically for all my clients. If you see me two or three times a week, you're gonna do all major, and carry. So squat, hinge, push, pull, carry. You're gonna do all of those every workout that I see you. Now, which ones will depend on who they are and what we're doing, whatever. Um, so I see him three times a week. Uh, former athlete, so he really likes to get after it. Um, we have an anchor lift in the beginning of the workout. Um, now his warmups are a little bit specific to him because of his shoulder um, history and he's actually a patient of our friend our pt friend i really hope i didn't just like mess up what is that um hippo laws or whatever we'll just leave it there we'll just leave it there he's a patient <laughs> anyway he's getting seen by a pt for his shoulder and his ankle sure um, and we'll collaborate on what looks good what doesn't look good what i can do differently in the programming so um, anyway, because he's a former athlete, he likes to get after it. We have an anchor lift at the front end of the workout. So on Mondays, our big major lift is barbell bench. So we'll bench. And in between, we'll do some shoulder care stuff um, as needed, depending on how he feels. And he likes to do ab work. So ab work and shoulder care don't interfere with our bench press. So I'll, I'll litter that in there. Um, as we get going, but the bench press is the one I want to see demonstrable progress on, so we hit that one hard. I won't get into the specifics, but the bench press is the major mover, um, and he likes to do it, so that's why, otherwise probably wouldn't care. He likes to barbell bench, that's why we do it. Um, after that, we move into our first hinge pattern, which is a kickstand RDL, actually a wall-supported kickstand RDL, um, so it's a single leg hinge pattern. And then a seated shoulder press, which will help drive his barbell bench. So I went from a horizontal press with the bench to a single leg hinge and a vertical press that augments the bench press. So that was the decision there. And again, shoulder work or ab work in between that I don't think will interfere with the two major movers. Then we get to the part of the workout that we call bangerang. So we have the major stuff in the beginning. And, and tip, so basically, if you look at Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we have a big push on Monday, pull with deadlift on Wednesday, squat on Friday. Then accessory movements for the other exercises. So like on Monday was bench. So we have a hinge pattern and a vertical press on Monday. On Wednesday, we have a squat so it's a squat chin up and then a hinge and a press and then on friday we have a hinge a press and like a uh, you could probably call it a single leg variation point is some stuff that's going to help these major moves um and then we get to bangerang which are more accessory movements so like on monday he sandbag squats does trx rows and banded push-ups 
Bangarang on Wednesday is standing landmine press, a lateral lunge, and a chest supported row. And Bangarang on Friday is one arm row, close grip push ups, and kettlebell swings. So again, we're really crossing major movers. But what the difference is, is in the beginning of the workout, it's let's do some heavy, hard work on this one movement. Mm-hmm. Then we're going to do two movements that help our other stuff that we're working on, but there's plenty of rest, talk about it, whatever. And then um, when we get to bang rang, it's really starting to increase that tempo. Like, you know, let's move. And, and so the exercise choices are deliberately relatively easy. So in other words, there's not a lot of technique failure potential, like push-ups, sure. right? right? You can do a lot of push-ups really fast and you just get tired and you lay on the ground. So when we get to, to this, the, I label it C, so there's A, B1, B2, then C1, C2, C3. When we get to those that triple, we're really starting to move a little bit. I still want good reps, I still want heavy as possible weight, but I do like that sort of tempo. So that's bangerang. And then the last 10 or 15 minutes is what we call witness. Witness this fitness. You've seen um, Mad Max, right? The movie? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, not Thunderdome, but um, Fury Road. Yeah. And there's an awesome scene where they're like, witness me! That's the intensity is what we want. And so in this gym, we have an airdyne, we have a row ergometer, we have a ski ergometer, we have a bunch of sandbags, we have kettlebells, we've got, we'll do a little arm farm, so we'll do carries, we'll do, um, you know, max reps, push-ups, we'll do crawls, you know, um, airdyne sprints, but basically fuck your shit up for like the last 10 minutes. Yeah. So there's a sort of like slow build from the beginning of the workout to the end of the workout, and he leaves sweaty breathing heavy or whatever but i reserved all that energy on the front end for those big lifts and did obviously that on purpose um, there's a couple caveats to all of this um, because i see him face to face there are days where the program i've got written will not go exactly according to plan so like if he comes in and his shoulders are hurting i'll swap a seated shoulder press for a landmine press or maybe just you know feet elevated push-ups because mm-hmm. i'm not married to the program i just need to push variation um if he hasn't been like sleeping all that good and we're supposed to go pretty hard and heavy we might ramp close to it if it looks good and somehow he digs deep and finds it and we can send it we will but i can also dial that back a little bit same with witness if he comes in he he works like 12 hour shifts on occasion so coming off a 12 hour shift at eight o'clock on a monday morning we might not go super hard and heavy on an air dime i mean we might but he might be pretty beat up and tired already, so I don't need to kill him. So we might dial it back a little bit then. And then the last caveat to all this is that sometimes I'm working in a gym with another coach with his client. Yeah. Right. So there might, you know, it, it's a limited space. You've been in, it's like 12, what, 1,200 square feet, 1,500 square feet, whatever. Point is, yeah, there might be something that I'd like to do. Um, but the equipment is unavailable or the space doesn't make sense. And with COVID, we do try to keep ourselves a little bit separated. So I have a basic framework about how I go about doing these programs. But very, we talked about this in the last podcast. We'll very easily laterally shift on, like, let's say, a single leg variation. So whether we go a walking lunge or a reverse lunge or a dumbbell split squat, I do want a single leg something or another, but I'm not married to which one it is at whatever time. Um, 
So like the big lifts we'll try to maintain, but the stuff on the back end, I'll, again, I've got a framework. I want a single leg hinge, a single leg squat pattern, but I can, again, I'll shift this in and out depending on how he feels and you know what's going on. And he, he's a lacrosse coach. Hmm. Sometimes he steps into practice. And so he might come in the next day and be like, hey, you know, I stepped into a drill, stepped funny on my ankle. I really don't want to do any single leg anything today. Anything bilateral is fair game. Like anything with both feet on the ground, fair game. We can squat, we can deadlift. But a lateral lunge is a maybe, a split squat or a, like a reverse lunge is a definite no because once he gets out of that stable position, that ankle gets cranky. Mm -hmm. So again, when he comes in the room, I'm just kind of reading him. And again, we talked about this on the last podcast. I'm like a quarterback where I've got my playbook. And then as things start moving, I'll check down or, you know, lateral shift or whatever I need to do to make sure that we're getting work in off this framework, but not married to the program and not, you know, killing him because he's got a job and a girlfriend and, you know, plays lacrosse or coaches lacrosse. So, like, I need to manage some of the stress and not just murder him every time I see him. Now, that said, he likes to get murdered, and it is fun. Um, but that's a general framework for how I write all my programs, is total body, single leg this and that, single arm this and that, and then arm farm, ab work, and get sweaty doing air dine or carrying some sandbags or whatever. That's basically my MO for most of my programs. Bow! Oh yeah, dude. Yeah. Can't argue with that. Right? So anyway, it works really well. And, and sometimes, you know, sometimes these details are a little bit more dialed in for certain clients and sometimes they're not. Like some mm -hmm. of my clients do not care how heavy their deadlift gets. So sometimes we, we get heavy and sometimes we don't. Sometimes mm -hmm. we just groove the pattern because I'll ask them, be like, that was great. That was a PR. And they're like, okay. They really, I, I mean, I don't think that's like surprising that some of us have clients that just want to move some weight right. and feel good. And so, yes, I, I think as a younger coach, I got frustrated by not seeing like the goalpost move every single workout. And then I started to realize that showing up and having a good time was the goal. Right. It wasn't what was on that bar on, on my deadlift today or how much did I squat? It was, hey, it didn't hurt. And I had fun doing it. Mm -hmm. And so I have since relaxed my program design a little bit because not everybody cares as much as I do. Yeah, yeah, man, that's key. And uh, not to plug my own podcast here. You but, should plug your um, own podcast. Plug my own podcast on my own podcast. But for those who subscribe to the Zach Henderson podcast, I just put out a conversation with Jen Meehan. Who, I, I think I saw this on your story. Yeah, just a couple days ago. And her claim to fame... Uh, she is a, I mean, first of all, she's a phenomenal coach, um, but she has also accomplished some pretty crazy feats of strength, um, most notably of which in the past uh, few months, she did a strict tactical slow, not, not slow in the bad way, slow in the good controlled way, pull up with a 88 pound kettlebell strapped to her waist holy shit and we're talking we're not talking about like doing, barely crossing we're not yeah. we're not we're not talking about a pull up to the nose and then you raise your chin up right like we're talking about holy hell base of the throat to the bar okay pause 
down slow. And then control. Holy hell. Yeah. And all that to say, what she mentioned was, is that very much in the interest of trying to move the goalposts on every workout, she grinded her way to the 24 kilo pull-up, weighted pull-up, which is a quote-unquote Iron Maiden kettlebell standard. Okay. And she did it, and it was great, but it felt like it felt very hollow because she didn't enjoy the process, and she, you know, destroyed herself on the way there. Over the past several years, she's taken a much more flexible, intuitive approach and has just been very cognizant of her recovery taking everything day by day, having fun, pushing it when she feel when things feel easy, backing off when things feel hard. And a big a big theme of our conversation was how much she enjoyed the process of getting to this of getting to this insane weighted pull-up number and she what she didn't even plan it. She it just felt good one day and she and she went for it. You know, I think there's something to be said about all that because I think a lot of young trainees and, and, and coaches, and I was one of these people that I was trying to like, you know, Einstein, E equals MC squared, like calculations all over the chalkboard, figure out the perfect, you know, combination of exercises and order of operations and so on. Like really try to like hammer a perfect program and that it doesn't exist. Right. So, and, and also I think, you know, it's easy to look at a workout program and think that it's just going to go great, <laughs> like percentage-based, <laughs> so on and so forth, right. these programs, as if we're computers that you just input information and stuff happens. Yeah. And we're not. We're human beings. And so you have to, you have to, I, I don't want to be this absolute, but I'm going to be, you have to be a little bit flexible with your workout programming and your you know exercise selection and how you go about doing things because you're not a computer. Like you're gonna have good days where you can send it. You're gonna have bad days where you don't wanna send it. You know, this joint's gonna hurt, you slept bad, whatever. And so being able to sort of intuitively go about working out, picking this over that, laterally shifting or whatever, you're gonna see more long-term, probably enjoyment out of the process as opposed to grinding it out every single time i am grinding it out every single time and i hurt (laughs) all over so i need to stop grinding it out for a little while we're not robots yet not yet we're close andy let's end it on that note okay i like that a to z no bs thank you so much for listening we'll see you next time bye